You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. Second Thessalonians. And last week I shared with you something that from a human perspective sounds completely impossible. It seems like a fable. It seems like, well, that it couldn't be true based on just a human perspective. I mean, think about it. We said last week that there's going to be a day yet in our future when Jesus is going to shout. There's going to be the voice of an archangel. There's going to be a trumpet. And I, I showed you video from, from a grave side from a cemetery with some 1,900 plus graves in it. And I, I told you to imagine for a moment what it would be like to, to be there on that day when that shout happens and that trumpet blows because the Bible says that Jesus will come down into the clouds. He will not set foot on the earth. And the graves of those who've died who died in Christ, are going to burst open. Not the zombie apocalypse, not at all. That those who have died in Christ are going to come out of the grave. And I also told you that the Bible describes death as sleeping, not because when a person dies in Christ, they are, they are in that grave. That the person that you know that has passed on is not lying in a cold, dark grave awaiting some future event. No, the Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So that soul spirit, the person you know, the person you love, their very very personality, everything that you know about them is alive and well and in the presence of Christ at the very moment we speak. So then it begins, you begin to wonder, well, how in the world are these bodies going to burst forth? And what's the point of that? Well, the church at Thessalonica was concerned that the ones who had died in Christ were not going to participate in the second coming of Christ. And it bothered them. And, and this is why... Paul addresses it in this first letter, and he wants them to understand that those who've died in Christ are going to participate in this miraculous, amazing, incredible event that is still yet in our future, and those who remain. I told you that there's going to be a moment in time where if this happens today, and by the way, we don't know when it's going to happen, and if anybody's telling you a date and a time when it's going to happen, please ignore them because they're not being obedient to Scripture. No one knows. So we don't know. It could happen today. But imagine for a moment that it is today, this afternoon, that, that there's going to be a moment in time, maybe when you're driving by a cemetery, that the graves are going to burst forth. And you, as a disciple of Christ, you're going to know what that's about because you've heard the trumpet. You've heard that cry. And you know that after those graves burst forth, the next thing that's going to happen is gravity is going to let go of you. And you are also going to go up and gather in the clouds with Jesus. And the Bible says that we will be there forevermore. And in that moment, in that time of transformation, we're going to get a brand new body. That body that bursts forth out of the grave is not going to be a sickly, decomposing body. No, it's going to be a brand new body that's going to reunite with that soul spirit that has gone on before. And in the presence of Christ, we will live forevermore. Now, I know that sounds incredible. And I know that for some of you here this morning, you, you probably think of this and go, yeah, that's just one more fable among many fables that we can find in the Bible. And maybe you just don't believe it. Well, I understand that. I understand your unbelief. I, I can understand that 
that this text and what we're going to talk about today can be a little hard to wrap our minds around. But if you've come to faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and He's guiding your path and helping you to understand what the Word says, listen, if we serve a God who created the cosmos out of nothing, if we serve a God who took dirt and breathed life into it and it became a living soul, if we serve a God who can raise Jesus from the dead after being dead for three days, never to die again, then can I offer to you this morning that the events we talked about last week and the events we're going to talk about today is no problem for a sovereign, all-powerful God. Can we agree to that? I read a story of a, of a man who, who was living in New York in 1938. And of course, in 1938, they didn't have instant access to information like you have today. And this particular gentleman was very interested in, in weather. He, he, he just had an affinity for it. He was a businessman, but he, he loved studying things in science. And, and weather was something that really caught his attention. And he, he decided that he wanted to buy a really nice barometer. Now, of course, in his day, it's a whole lot harder than just getting on the Internet and ordering something from Amazon. He had to go through the process of finding one and then placing the order and then waiting weeks for it to come in the mail. So in early September, right around September, maybe 7th, 8th of 1938, the man receives this expensive, high-tech for his day barometer. He opens it up. He gets it out. It's a beautiful thing to behold. And he's thinking, wow, I'm going to be able to use this barometer to study about weather and check the different pressures and what's happening with the weather. Well, when he gets it out of the box, he notices that, that the, the, the needle on the barometer is pegged out and it's pointing towards the phrase hurricane that the pressure was so off at that particular moment that the needle was pointing towards hurricane. Well, in his mind, he looks at that and goes, well, that can't be possible. There's no way that a hurricane's coming. This thing must be broken. So he begins to shake it and try to get the needle to maybe pop over to an accurate reading of what the barometer should be reading or the pressure of the atmosphere. And it doesn't change. Well, now he gets, he gets really angry because he's waited weeks for this thing, and now he's got a broken barometer. So he decides to write a, a letter. Remember, no emails, no instant messaging. He writes a letter to the manufacturer to basically tell them he's going to send it back and he's disappointed in the quality of the device that he received after paying all this money, waiting all this time. So he, he drops it off to the post office on his way to work. Two days later, a hurricane hits Long Island, New York. It was a Category 5 while it was out in the ocean. It hit with a Category 3 force. It killed 682 people and destroyed 57,000 homes. Now, in that moment that he gets the barometer out, he makes a judgment call, does he not? That in his mind, in, in what he understands and what he knows at that particular moment, in his mind, there's no way that a storm could be coming. There's no way, for whatever reason, he believed that the barometer was false, that, that it was not telling the truth at all. The New Testament in particular, the Old Testament as well, but the New Testament in particular, in some of Paul's writings, Paul has given us a barometer, not for a physical storm, but a storm that is much worse. You see, I believe firmly that there's a storm on the horizon, and that storm is the storm of God's judgment that's going to be poured out upon this earth. Now, hold on. Before you check out on me, before you check out, it's at this moment in your mind you might not say it out loud. You might. You might not. 
in your mind, you're thinking, yeah, okay, I've heard all about this because I've been hearing it ever since I was a small child in vacation Bible school. I've been hearing preachers preach for years that, that there's going to be a time of judgment, that God is going to intervene in time and space, that things are not just going to continue as they are, that God is going to personally intervene. I've been hearing it my whole life, Pastor, and I'm 50, 60, 70, 80. He hadn't come yet. So I've pretty well kind of relegated that to symbolism or a fable, but that's, that's just stuff that you say to make us afraid to get people to choose Christ. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to give you the barometer readings, okay? I want you to see, as Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor in the church at Ephesus, Ephesus was a broken, broken city. There was all kinds of evil going on in this city. And, and Timothy, who's been equipped by Paul himself, who's traveled with Paul, is there as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Paul writes him two letters, mainly to encourage, to exhort him to stay true and faithful, to, to be planted upon God's Word, to, to understand that the persecution that he's suffering is just part of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, the letters overall are encouraging. And, and then when you get to chapter 3 in 2 Timothy, I want you to see this because in the Greek language behind your English translation, it's as though Paul grabs Timothy, not literally but figuratively, through this letter and says, Timothy... I need your attention right here. I need you to hear what I'm going to tell you. I need you to focus because I need you to think about this because in the first verse he says, but understand this. The Greek behind that has the idea that, that Paul's almost pointing his finger right in Timothy's chest. This is important what Paul has to say to Timothy. And he's going to give Timothy a barometer. And I want you to notice where the needle's pointing. He says, in the last days. Paul's right there for just a moment. In the last days. What are the last days? We see this phrase used a lot in the New Testament. We see Paul use it several times. What does he mean, in the last days? What he means, when we see that phrase, what he means is, is that from the time that Jesus ascended to the Father, if you remember in that moment I told you about last week, Jesus said to those who were followers, he says, go and be witnesses, because I'm going to come again in like manner. I'm going to come again, but you, between now and then, you've got to go be my witnesses. Start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost. Jesus puts them on mission. We have been living in the last days ever since Jesus ascended back to the Father. Now, if Paul tells Timothy some 2,000 years ago, hey, Timothy, we're in the last days, then can you imagine that 2,000 years later, we're even closer to the last days? Can, can we agree on that? Yeah, I think we can. So Paul says, now in those last days, I want you to notice some of the symptoms of humanity and society. He says, in the last day there will come times of difficulty. Now Timothy understood that because he's facing difficulty in Ephesus. But Paul goes even further. He says, for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. I don't know about you, but that, that sounds like an ingredient list for what I'm seeing in our own culture today. What this describes is depravity on parade. What this describes is that the further we get away from Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, 
the worse the world is getting. These things were true in Timothy's day, but they are absolutely positively true today. And you, all you have to do is turn on the 24-hour news networks and you find all of this on parade every day. So we're living in the last days. Go back to 1 Thessalonians. Now we're ready to get into what Paul wants to get into because if you remember, this church is a little confused about what Paul was teaching about these events and they wanted to know more. So Paul is clearing up some things. That's what he was doing last week when we looked at chapter 4, verses 13 and following. But in chapter 5, I want you to notice very clearly that he shifts. He's not talking about what we know to be the rapture or the gathering out of the church. He shifts his focus away from that, and he begins to talk about what happens beyond that, a miraculous, wondrous, incredible event. He's going to use this term. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Now, concerning the times and seasons, times and seasons, you see, the more the church knew about this event, the more that they understood, Paul knew they were going to have more and more questions. You know, you were built with curiosity. We're all curious, right? And that, that's a good thing. God has built that inside of you. Part of the image that you bear is that you're curious. You want to know. And, and so God gives us his word to help us to know kind of what his plan is and what his, his calling is upon our life. So he says, I know that you want to know the times and seasons, but you have no need for anything to be written to you. Paul had talked to them about what Jesus taught. Paul had sat with them for five weeks and poured into them everything that he knew about Jesus' life, his ministry, and yes, even the times and seasons when all of this was going to play out and what to be looking for. But Paul does this for a specific reason. He's not doing it just so the church at Thessalonica or the church at Hyde Park will know exactly what the timeline of events are. That's, that's a secondary issue. It's great to kind of know what the framework is, but the purpose of what Paul is writing is both to encourage, but also to encourage and exhort the people to live out their faith. I've come to the conclusion that whatever your destiny is, determines how you live right now. Let me give you an example. Before I came to faith in Christ, growing up in the church, my idea of following Jesus was, I'm going to put it off another day, another week, another month. I've got plenty of time because I was 16 at the time. 15, 16, when God really began to deal with me. So I would just put it off. I, I've got plenty of time. I'm a young man. Let me live for today. And then later on, somewhere, I'll get religion and everything will be fine. And in those moments before I came to Jesus, I lived just like my destination. In other words, my destination is a lost person. A lost person, your destination is to be eternally separated from God if you do not put your faith in Jesus. We call that hell. We call that a place of punishment. But it's ultimately you're separated from God, and that is the worst possible place you could ever be. No hope. So you're living your life trying to find hope and peace in a world that can't give it to you at all. You're living your life in such a way that you are the central focus. For those of you who have been born again, you should be living in the light of the reality that you will stand before Christ one day. You will live with Him in eternity. That should impact how you live today. And Paul is writing these things to this church at Thessalonica to say to you, listen, be encouraged. Persecution is going to come. Trouble is going to come. Pain is going to come. That's part of following Jesus. But you need to understand that God's in control. You need to understand that it's not always going to be the way it is today. Notice what he says, For you yourselves are fully aware 
This is verse 2, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Notice the difference between what Paul is explaining here and what he explained in the previous verses. This is why I'm convinced that what Paul is talking about in chapter 5 is not a further teaching of the rapture or the gathering up of the church. He's talking about what's going to happen after that because he changes his focus from you to them. He says that this is going to come like a thief in the night. How many times has a thief ever told you that he's going to come and rob you at 8 p.m. tomorrow night? Well, that would be ludicrous. He would not do that. He's not going to announce his calling. He's not going to announce when he's going to come and knock your windows out. The reason he does that is because he wants to surprise you and take your stuff without you knowing it. In the previous verses, Jesus is very vocal about announcing what's about to happen. There is a shout of an archangel. There is a trumpet that is going to occur. The whole world is going to be caught up in this moment when Jesus calls his church out. It's going to be visible. It's going to be seen. It's going to be clear that something miraculous and amazing has happened because a whole segment of the population is now gone and all that is left are graves that have burst forth. But here he says, this next event, no, it will come like a thief in the night. Notice what the people are saying. Those people who've been left behind after this a miraculous event, they're going to be saying there is peace and security. Peace and security. Now, I've, I, have, I have wondered about this ever since I've been a Christian and began to understand these verses. How is it that such a miraculous event that can happen in public view, graves bursting forth, people going up into the clouds, disappearing, whole segments, whole communities gone, how could anybody experience that and then after the fact not believe that God exists and that Christ is real and that all that had been taught before the church was taken out, that is happening exactly the way the Bible said it? How could a person be so, I don't know, ignorant or unbelieving that after that event, they would just ignore it and live in peace and security and prosperity. I'll tell you why. In the next couple of weeks, you're going to learn about a, a man who will come on the scene after this event. He's described as the lawless one. He's described as the one who is against everything that God and Christ and the church stands for. And this man is going to be such an incredible leader. He's going to be so smooth with his words. He's going to be so convincing that he's going to take the focus off of this miraculous event. They're going to explain it away. It can be, you can just imagine that they're going to explain it away as aliens or some kind of environmental event or something, but it will not, it will not be discussed as far as God intervening in time and space. And he will lead the world to peace, security, and prosperity. And the world will fall at his feet. Did you know that the world right now is looking for this leader? The world as a whole is looking for this leader to come and fix all of our problems. They're looking for a man who can make sure that everybody has money and everybody has food and that he can fix everything. The world, the stage is set. This man is going to be pretty convincing. So much so that Paul says they're going to believe that peace and security is all they're going to experience. From that point forward. You know, prosperity, and basically when you look at this, this is what's happening. People are prospering. Prosperity has this almost like drug effect. What I mean by that is, is that it takes your focus off of what's happening around you. And all that happens is, is you become so enthralled with 
with, with success and prosperity and money and power that you forget about God's judgment. You forget about that God is working and acting in space and time and that God is in control. The more, the wealthier we become and the prosperity we get and the power that comes with it, we believe we're in control. And it lulls us into a sleep, a dullness. Paul says that they're saying peace and security, but notice what happens. Then sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, they will not escape. So for these people who are left behind, who ignore this miraculous event, who begin to give their allegiance to this one world leader and actually begin to worship him, they get lulled into a sleep to think that it's always going to be perfect, it's always going to be beautiful, there's going to be prosperity unending. It's not hard to imagine that the world at large, when the church is taken out, that they celebrate that, right? It's not hard to imagine that when Christians are removed from the planet, that the rest of the world is not going to celebrate the fact that nobody's going to be in their face telling them what's wrong and right and how to follow Jesus. They're going to be done with that. It's not hard to imagine. But Paul says, at the moment they think everything's going to be okay, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. You think, well, well, pregnant woman, someone who's getting ready to have a child, that's a, that's a time to celebrate. It's a time to... To, 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 to enjoy, well, not in Paul's day. Because in Paul's day, there were no hospitals and no medications and no, no places for a pregnant mother to go. And oftentimes in Paul's day, either the child or the mother or both would die in the childbirthing process. So what Paul's saying here is when those birth pains begin to come upon that woman, there's going to be a baby coming at some point. Paul says that when these things begin to happen, when destruction falls, then nothing will stop it at all that God will have His full will and His full power. And all of the prosperity, all of the security will be wiped out in a moment of time because God is going to judge the earth. And all those who reject Christ will be judged as well. If you underline in your Bible, this will be a good phrase to underline, they will not escape. God being righteous and holy and perfect in every way, He's going to make all things right. All the things that have been run wrong, you think that the evil is going unchecked. You believe that evil is just having its way in the world, that God's somewhere off running the universe. Maybe He's turned His back on us. He's forgotten about us because all of the things that are happening on our planet, if God was in control, certainly He would be doing something and stopping this. Let me tell you, and let me be very clear. God knows exactly what's happening, and God will judge every single person that turns their back on Jesus Christ. He will, He will have the final say. And lost person, let me make sure you understand, there is no back door, there is no escape, there is no side door into heaven, there is no way you're going to work it all out, there's no way you're going to be able to bargain with God, there's no way you're going to be able to escape the judgment. If you reject Christ, there will be no hope for you upon death or upon the rapture. One or the other is going to happen. You will have no hope, and you've got to understand that. Paul says, but you, verse 4, are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do. Paul turns his attention back to the church at Thessalonica. So in verses 4, chapter 4, verse 13, 18, he says to them, the church at Thessalonica, your loved ones who've passed on will not be left out. Then he turns his attention towards those who will be left behind. 
after the rapture. Now he turns his attention back to those in the church at Thessalonica. He says, now you know better because you've heard the gospel. You've responded to it. You're going to be removed out of this, but make sure you don't fall asleep between now and then. I mean, with what Paul described the church at Ephesus as the barometer of what's going to be happening in the world, certainly the church wouldn't fall asleep while all that's going on, right? I mean, mean, certainly the church could look and see that the needle's pointing towards a great storm on the horizon, and certainly the church would be awake, and certainly the church would be telling their neighbors about Jesus, and certainly the church would be like a bride waiting for her groom, right? Living in purity, living in holiness, following Jesus day in and day out. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, make sure you're awake, make sure you're sober, and make sure you put on the breastplate of faith. Paul says, listen, this breastplate of faith that you need to put on and this helmet of the hope of salvation, what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica is, this breastplate that you put on is your trust in a sovereign God. So what God has said, God will accomplish. It doesn't matter how fancy or outlandish that it sounds, that God will intervene in time and space exactly how He's laid out. So you put that on, you wear that close to your chest, and with the persecution that is coming towards you, You have hope in a God who's in control. The hope of your salvation, that salvation, that moment you came to faith in Christ and you were justified, the wrath of God was turned away from you. And then God begins to pour into you and train you and equip you to do the work that He's called you to do through the local church. But then there's going to be a time where salvation is going to be complete and it's going to be in that moment of glorification when everything has been made right and we stand in the presence of God with a brand new body in His presence for eternity. He says, you wear this as a helmet, hope of your salvation. And then verse 9, I think, is a very important verse that you need to underline, memorize, especially if you're struggling with security in your salvation. I know that many of you struggle with that. Am I, am I, have I lost my salvation? Am I saved? Am I not? I just had a conversation with somebody a week ago who was struggling with that. Notice what verse 9 says. For God has not destined us for wrath. That's a beautiful verse. It fits in perfectly with Romans 8.1 where Paul says, you are now no longer condemned. You know what that means? It means that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God is no longer condemning you. He's no longer going to pour out His wrath upon you. Will He chastise? Yeah. Will He correct? Absolutely. But He will not cast you off into hell for those of you who put your faith in Jesus. God is not going to renege on the promises that He's made. If He has adopted you as a son or a daughter, you are a son or a daughter of the Most High. And nothing, nothing is going to change that. No wrath. You're not destined. You're not appointed to wrath. No, 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 no. Your destiny, your destiny is to live with Christ in the perfection of that place He's going to prepare. If you go back through Scripture, you find all kinds of places and evidence of how God operates with His people during judgment. Where else can we look in Scripture and find a time where God judged the entire earth? Well, look back to Noah. Remember Noah and his family, right? Noah comes to, God comes to Noah and says, Noah, I want you to, I want you to build something for me. It's going to rain. I'm going to destroy the earth with water. The only righteous people living at that point, the the only people who were following God at that moment were Noah and his family. So, so, So God directs Noah to build this ark. And as the rains begin, Noah's family goes into the ark and the ark door is closed. 
and the floods begin to occur, occur all over the entire globe. And the only people that are saved from that judgment are God's people who put their faith in God. God has a tendency to, to rescue His people before the judgment falls. If you move over into Egypt with the Israelites, the Israelites are in this nation in bondage and slavery, and, and the Egyptians are, are using and abusing the Israelite nation. God steps in and begins to say through Moses, you will set my people free. And the Pharaoh says, no, I won't. They're my people. They belong to me. I will not set them free. And God begins to judge that nation over and over again. But in those judgments, the nation of Israel is protected miraculously. And his people are delivered and set free. You see, church, we are not destined for wrath. What we are destined for as followers of Christ is the sound of a trumpet, the sound of an archangel, where if I'm alive at that time, I will see the graves burst forth, and then I know that right after that, gravity is going to let go of me, and I'm leaving this place. And I know that right after that, those that are left behind, because this is what Paul is talking about, those who are left behind are going to enter a time in which they think everything is okay. They're going to think that it's peace and security and prosperity, only to find out that destruction is right at their doorstep. We live with our destiny in view. Paul says, live today. Live today as though your destiny is to be with Christ. But the only way that can happen is to put your faith in Jesus Christ who died in your place. The only way to quit living in the world system is to come out of it. And the only way to come out of it is to, get, is to be reborn into a brand new life. You can't do that. You can't accomplish that by your church membership. You cannot accomplish that by throwing some money in the offering plate. You cannot accomplish that through good works. You can only accomplish it through surrender and faith in Jesus Christ. And at that moment, you are reborn. This baptistry out here in just a few moments is going to just demonstrate that in a beautiful way. You're going to see these three candidates laid back into a watery grave. This signifies they have died to themselves. And thank God we don't leave them there. The dads are helping me today, so we're going to have to talk about that a little bit. We're not going to leave them there. We're going to bring them up. And when we bring them up, it represents resurrection to brand new life. The old has passed away. Behold, new has come. You adopted into God's family, not because you were dunked in water. Hear me very clearly on this. What's happening out there in that baptistry is a story, tells a story of what's already happened. The three candidates that have come forward for baptism today, they have already been born again. They are already brand new. They are already adopted into God's family. That's already secure. This baptistry just tells the story of that new reality. Isn't that beautiful? I think it's awesome. I appreciate the courage of these kids. We had a, another couple that was going to be baptized today, and uh, one of their children ended up with some sickness and couldn't be here today, so we'll pick them up at a later time. Listen, life is full of setbacks, trouble, pain, valleys, heartaches, on and on. I know, I know as I look across this room, that many of you are going through un, unbelievable pain right now. Family's breaking apart, sickness in your family. And it's breaking your heart. 
And as born-again believers, where, where do we find hope in all this? It's all great and good, Pastor, that something's going to happen in the future. It's all great and good that, that there's going to be a trumpet. But what, what does this do for me today? Well, here's what it does for you today. What it says to you today is today, and the pain you're struggling with today, the pressure you're under today, the value you're in today, is not always going to be where you are today. It's going to move. It's going to change. God is in control. Where you are today is not the final say. The pain you're experiencing today is not the final say. Just as much as that gravestone last week is not, the final say, the valley you're in, it's not always going to be this way. Thank God that we don't stay in the valley. There is no escaping the judgment loss, friend. There's no escaping it. I don't know what kind of lies Satan is telling you, but I know he's lying to you about this. You've got to understand that there is no other way except through Christ. And because, Christian, you're not destined for wrath, and because, lost person, you are, for both of you, you've got to understand the great hope here. For a lost person, you've got to understand. You've got to understand the hope that is found in Jesus Christ, that peace and that joy you've been looking for and trying to get it from the world. How's that working out for you? It's not working at all, is it? It can only be found in Christ. Uh, disciple of Christ, let me ask you a question. Why, why is it that we're living as though this world is all there is? Listen, I've been there, I understand. But as disciples of Jesus, understanding what's in our future, whether we go by the grave or whether we go by the rapture, that should give us great hope. It should at least put a smile on our face. It should at least help us to walk through whatever valley we're walking through, knowing that whatever this valley is doesn't have the final say in my life or in my family. No, God is sovereignly in control. He's always been in control. He's not forsaken you. He's not walked away from you. As a matter of fact, He's closer to you than He's ever been. And not only that, we are in the last days. God's about to wrap this thing up. There's a storm coming. All indications point to the reality that there's a storm on the horizon. Are you ready for it? There's only one way to be ready for it. Put your faith in Jesus. Father in heaven, we look forward to worshiping in you outside as these Three, show great courage, great courage to be baptized today. And I'm so thankful for them, for their families and for their investment. And, each, and all three of these families, they've been investing in these kids for many, many years. And what an encouragement that is. So what a privilege it is as, as a church family just to come alongside them and to celebrate with them. But Father, I know that there are some in the room that have never put their faith in you. There's some in the room right now that have some serious doubts about everything I've been sharing for the last two weeks. But Father, deep down, deep down, even, even with the person who doesn't even believe that you exist, Father, I believe deep down they know that the world can't continue as it is. And the reason that's down in their soul, Father, is because you put it there, that they would turn their eyes towards you. Help them to understand they will not escape. Help them to see the truth. And the truth is, it, they can only find peace and joy through Jesus. No other way. For the disciples in this room, I know that they're hurting. I know that they're struggling. I know that the world is pressing in. And Father, I know that the pain is real. Father, I pray that knowing that you are in complete control of their situation, in the world, that they would find hope there. Just like the hope they found in you when they put their faith in you. 
that that hope is real, it's alive. And even today can be the day we hear the trumpet. Father, may our hearts be prepared for that moment. We ask all this in Christ's name. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist.